sign just um, how much effort it takes to break out of routines, how much effort it took to have the wherewithal to sign up for the retreat, how much effort or commitment it takes to continue to stay signed up for the retreat. You know, there are a lot of people who signed up for the retreat who aren't here tonight because life intervened, something happened, and they couldn't come or decided not to come. All the cooking that Kim talked about, all the food that was prepared ahead of time, the enormous work of the staff, the volunteer staff doing the shopping and all the people who packed up Dylan's truck and brought the stuff here today and unpacked it and set up the hall. You know, whether we're avoiding what we can learn in life, avoiding insight, or whether we're cultivating insight, it just, life just seems to take a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work to avoid doing the good work, and it's a lot of work doing the good work of opening the heart, being more awake, more mindful in life. <clears throat> but this is a particular turning point as we go through the details, having gone through the details about how we can be together in community in a safe way and uh, really, on the one hand, really be here together in community and on the other hand, really get out of each other's way to some degree so that we can live together reflectively, using the mind not so much to negotiate the social territory of what people think about me and how I fit in, Instead, we're using the mind in this very particular way, taking, learning to take refuge in things as they are, to be mindful. I know we don't use the word holy or sacred very much at common ground or in Buddha circles. But it always feels that way when we come together like this. It feels really beautiful or sacred. That we have this time. That we, we have the wherewithal to create a container like this. Where we feel safe. Where we feel supported by each other's company. But at the other, the other side, we don't feel obligated to be a social being or to have to talk or to have to be somebody even. And although we have a container, as Scott described, you know, the different rules and guidelines, the idea is not to hold it not to use the guidelines or to use the schedule to create tension in the mind, 
But really, the whole point of coming together with the schedule is to relax, to feel safe and relax. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to always feel safe and relaxed, but that's really the point. Because the heart, you know, doesn't open easily when we're tight and afraid. The heart opens, the mind opens when we feel safe and relaxed. The basic movement of our practice is very simple and maybe that's actually what makes it difficult. We come with all kinds of ideas of striving or making progress, getting somewhere, and it can get in the way, can help us forget how simple it is. Recognizing that this is how it is. It's an honoring, a profound respect for the way that it already is now. And a willingness, the courage to settle the courage to be sensitive, to be unafraid of how the mind and body is now, <coughs> and the strength of mind not to second-guess it. This isn't how it should be, as if somehow we could possibly know how the moment should be. So I encourage all of us that to uh, come back to the basic sense of safety, basic sense of relaxation as often as you can during the weekend, and to understand the schedule and understand the different rules or guidelines in light of safety and relaxation. Instead of being rebellious and thinking somebody's telling me what to do or wanting to be goody-goody and be the best at following the rules and being tight in that way. And I thought for a particular theme for the retreat we could look at the dynamic, the play between faith and doubt, and just how they play out in our minds. So when faith has arisen, then we reflect on that experience of faith or confidence. And uh, in a sense, we're purifying our confidence in the practice, our confidence or faith in the goodness of the heart, goodness of the mind. We're purifying it from any idealism, any mistaken ideas, ideas not grounded in experience. And then the same thing with doubt. When doubt is present, we're also purifying that. You know, when doubt is purified, it, it ends up being sort of a mind that is comfortable with uncertainty. 
In a sense, we're not confused by the doubt or we're not bothered by the not knowing, things being undefined. Doubt is a problem. We know doubt's a problem when we are compelled to think about what we're doubting. Whenever we're going to thinking to solve a problem, we should just notice the cost. Like, what is the effect on the mind and body of that whole process? Very soon after the Buddha's awakening, he uttered this well-known phrase. He said, the gates to the deathless are wide open to those who have eyes to see or to those who have confidence or faith, enough wisdom to look or enough wisdom to see. The gates to the deathless are wide open to those who have faith. When we're caught up in our dramas, our stories about things, like our story about how great the retreat is or how bad I am or how lousy the retreat is, when we're caught up in our stories, we miss freedom. Even our stories about freedom or dukkha, Buddhist teachings are psychologically based. When you read through the discourses, so much of what you find are, is the Buddha or others, otherwise students of the Buddha, talking about how they've come to understand their mind. So when we talk about faith, when we talk about confidence in this context, we're not talking about faith or confidence in something outside of ourselves, so to speak. Our confidence in the Buddha's awakening is relevant because it's illuminating something that we feel about our own mind and heart. Now, as we right now settle into the experience of the mind, the heart, the body, the way it is now, we can just see, you know, is there a sense, an intuitive sense, a direct sense of goodness, of trust in the goodness, the essential goodness? Now, is this moment, or any moment, but this is the moment we have now, is it trustworthy in the sense of, is it okay to open? Or is it, are we better off running, hiding, distracting ourselves? That's really what it comes down to. And in a way, then, every moment of our practice this weekend, it's just, we're just seeing what our, refuge is? Are we worshipping the worldly deities of 
you know, more key. <laughs> Just moving, distracting, thinking, planning. Or we bowing down to some sense, however fragile, however new it might be, faint it might be, but are we bowing down, turning toward trusting something here and now? This heart or mind, this moment, is it worthy of a full, open, undefended presence? It doesn't, we don't put it in these terms often, but I think we miss the price. We don't see the price we pay by being distracted or being caught up. I know a lot of us, we don't like the, sometimes in the suttas and the discourses of the Buddha, there are certain militaristic terms or, you know, just ways of talking about our experience, the mind. And it can put us off a little. But in a way, there actually is this dynamic being played out. You know, choices are being made. And by allowing the mind to pursue its fantasies, its ideas about this and that, it's really worshipping a different God. You know, we're worshipping the God of our ideas, of our projections, what we like and what we don't like. And there are consequences. Just as there are consequences to taking refuge in the present moment. Letting the heart express its beautiful qualities of fearlessness and clarity and gentleness, receptivity, inclusivity. All of these beautiful qualities are expressed as we open to things as they actually are here and now, in the body, in the mind, right here, right now. Some people, just by nature of your personality, you might want to decorate, elaborate that experience of the present moment. Some Buddhist traditions, you know, there's beautiful, elaborate, rich imagery and story around opening to the present moment. Some of us tend to be more, want things more simple, spare. And so we couch things or talk about things in, you know, just simple psychological terms of opening. But it doesn't really matter what really, what it comes down to is our allegiance. Are we in any given moment this weekend or any given moment of our life, are we acting out our allegiance to our ideas about things? Pursuing our ideas, feeding our ideas, reacting to our ideas, comparing our ideas to other ideas? judging them, ranking them? Or through the process of letting go of attachment to ideas and concepts and dropping in, are we 
discovering a different refuge. A lot of us have a lot of skepticism and uh, even the word faith can uh, throw us for a loop. But we have to realize that, you know, by rejecting this idea of refuge, by rejecting the uh, faith and the essential goodness of the heart or the essential goodness of the present moment, we're manifesting a lot of faith. You know, by being in allegiance with our habits of distraction, that's an act of faith, that our habits of distraction deserve that kind of devotion. So we don't, it's not like whether we're for faith or against faith, it's really a question of what we have faith in. What is our allegiance? It's not about do we have an allegiance or not. And being unconscious of our allegiance doesn't make it not an allegiance. This Western Buddhist monk, Nyanaponikatera, he's passed away after many years, decades of living in Sri Lanka as a scholar monk and practicing monk. He talks about three questions or three reflections we can do. And feel free in a sit, in a walk, as you're sipping tea, feel free to come back to these reflections throughout the weekend. Where you're, you know, when we, in Buddhist terms, when we're doing a contemplation or reflection, there is some thinking involved and then there's some direct experiencing involved. So there's we're using thought to focus or direct one's attention. So one of the questions for reflection is from Yanapanikatera, is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there is need for taking refuge? Is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there's a need for taking refuge? So a very poignant uh, place in the Buddha's discourses, the suttas, where the Buddha is talking to a long-time student of his who is about his age. They're both now in their 80s at this time. So this is close to the time the Buddha died. And King <coughs> Pasanadi was also old, about the same age. And uh, he's being very reflective as he's talking to the Buddha about his years as a king and uh, just the troublesome nature of being a king and having to make lots of decisions and people always of course want to knock you down and take over your kingdom and something like that happens very soon after this conversation where something really bad happens to him where a son takes over and throws him in prison and eventually kills him uh, but anyway so the, they're talking together and I forget exactly how it's the conversation goes, but at some point, the Buddha is asking King Pasanadi 
how he sees things, how he understands his predicament as an older man. And he says something like, well, it seems as if there are four great mountains, one to the east, one to the west, one to the north, one to the south, and these mountains are marching in toward me. And Buddha basically agrees and says, yeah, that's how it is. So seeing, understanding, especially, you know, as we get older, some of you are in that age range, you know, in your 70s or older, and it just becomes more apparent. It's like I've been, it's been striking to me, like, how many people, people I know have died recently, and and uh, somebody said to me, well, because you're getting older, you know more old people. <laughs> and that's what happens. It's not like, you know, there's an uptick in death. But it's always been that way. But, you know, it's easy for us to be ignorant, to be disconnected from that fact. And then in this conversation, they go on, they're talking about, like, well, what should one do given that our life as if there were four great mountains marching in toward us. What should we do? And they, you know, together in this conversation, the king says, and the Buddha agrees, we should practice. That's the only thing that makes sense, is to practice. And again, the practice isn't like, we don't try to figure out how to make sense of death or how to be free of death. What we try to figure out is how it is now. Like, we assume that death is some profound annihilation. And that assumption is based on what we think this is, this moment is. Death is scary because of what we're taking this to be. And the Buddha says, instead of just taking that assumption as truth, let's really understand what this is, Because when we really understand what this is, we'll understand what death is, or what any experience that comes our way is. And it's the not understanding what this moment is that we misunderstand everything. And it's so easy to spend time thinking about death, and thinking about having more money, and thinking about fixing our relationship. And thinking about lately, I've been thinking a lot, maybe because I'm recognizing there's so much death, and also there's so many articles saying about how good it is to exercise. And um, so I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've been thinking a lot about exercising. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, it's not the same as exercising, you know. I think all the time how good it would be. I know, it actually feels good to just get down on the ground and do a few push-ups. It just feels good. I, my mind feels better, my body feels more vibrant and alive. And it, it occurs to me a lot, but it never occurs to me to actually do it, or rarely. <laughs> and this is the thing, too, about, you know, refuge. You know, the reason we want to we want to ask this first question, is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there's need for taking refuge? One of the things that does inspire us to ask this question is how easy it is 
just to keep doing the same old, same old. And not really changing the course of habit. You know, there's a lot of inertia moving us forward to do what we always do. It's like I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been strongly moved by... This is just a simple example, so I don't... I'm not saying this is a profound insight or anything, but just profoundly moved by how much trash there is. Like you buy something and the packaging around that thing. And just, I consider myself pretty sensitive. And then I just notice how much trash there is. And we're pretty careful, but there's still so much trash. And it always seems to me like, oh, it'd be such a good idea to live differently. Not to be part of the problem here. But there's so much inertia. You know, we're rushing around. It just seems instead of doing what we could do to avoid that, it's just easy to do the same old thing. You know, and to buy that product. Not to save the bags and reuse them. You know, what all, whatever these small things. So just to bring this up as a, a way of uh, owning how much inertia there is. Things that we know are good, we put off. And this is that sense of the mountains coming in. Like, we want to feel a sense of urgency. This is a good time to do something different than what we always do. It would sometimes it would be bad to spend the weekend reevaluating our relationships or planning out our future or, you know, just thinking about nature and how nice it is and how I could have more of this in my life. It's not like that kind of a weekend is evil, of course. It would be fine to do that. But we're not really sort of addressing this big inertia, which is addressing life through thinking about it. And of course, even if when we then say, okay, I'll commit to the practice, often we do the same thing. We want to think about how we're doing the practice, evaluating how we're doing the practice. So remember, this is the danger, just like recognizing this tendency of our mind to solve every problem by thinking, to address every joy by thinking about it. See that as a danger, like, oh, that's what I've always done. And in doing that, I've always had this experience of feeling disconnected or alienated from my life or unfulfilled in life. So this is what inspires, yes, there is a need for a refuge because I know, I can say with great confidence, that without being inspired, making the effort, I'm just going to continue to think about things forever. And that a lot of that thinking... Some of it is relatively neutral, but a lot of it, most of it, the great majority, is a cause for actual stress, even if it seems in the moment like productive thinking. Whenever we think and are identified with our concepts, our thoughts, we limit our life. And that limiting is stressful, it's dukkha. Believing our thoughts is suffering. 
and all the extreme forms of suffering, the suffering that we all would agree is suffering, all has its origin in thoughts. All racism and nationalism and classism, all ways that we exploit each other, begins with thoughts about who I am and who you are, what's right and what's wrong, who's good and who's bad. So, if we have the sense that, yes, it would be good to have a refuge, a place to turn away from the momentum of our habit energy, then the question is, what is there such a refuge? Does such a refuge exist? Or are we just doomed to do more of the same? Living in a way that's unsatisfying, unhelpful. Is there another way? And it's okay. I think it's actually appropriate if we're skeptical, you know, to be skeptical. I don't know. I don't know if there's another way. I don't know if there's a refuge. Some of you know the Buddha says, you know, when we're in this place, aware that the mountains are marching in, aware uh, of the basic stress, like the way we live is stressful. That's a little bit like being a cornered animal. It's like here we are, we don't want to suffer, but it's like every movement the mind knows is more stress. So here's where we either just take up an old strategy because it's too disconcerting to be aware of this predicament, or we search. Is there a refuge? Is there anybody who knows? Anybody has any good ideas? And, you know, when you uh, look at how the Buddha taught, you know, he, he wasn't coercing people to practice for the most part. Every once in a while there's stories of him being somewhat of a trickster, but basically his approach was to use reasoning. Of course, the, you know, it's a bit of a setup because the Buddha, we don't really know directly the deep experience people like the Buddha and other awakened people have experienced. But they can reason with us. They can give us metaphors or similes that make what they're pointing to seem reasonable. You know, like, we know what it's like to carry a heavy backpack, so we can intuit what it's like to put it down. You know, that image of carrying a load that's not needed anymore. And then we can just go, oh yeah, put that down. And we know, like, if you're carrying something for a long time, there are moments you forget you're actually carrying the heavy load. Or you're out in a windy day, you know, and you don't always, after a while, you just get acclimated. But it's so nice when the, when the wind goes away or you step inside and you're not being buffeted by the winds anymore. Or the buzz of the refrigerator finally stops and you weren't even bothered by it a moment before, but it feels so good when it goes off.
the last reflection that Yanapanika says is what is its nature? So again, these three reflections we can come back to. Do we, in this world, as I actually experience it, is there a need for a refuge? Or am I already okay? You know, as I understand, as I'm experiencing my life, am I safe? Is my heart or mind, my understanding suitable for whatever might arise? Am I prepared for what ordinarily comes in life? Loss, you know, like the eight worldly winds. And if I feel like I'm not prepared and there is a need for refuge, do I know where that might be? And then the third is, well, what is its nature? This sort of the beginning of intuiting what the refuge is. And I'll come back and, um, you know, tomorrow night and Saturday night, give some instructions in the morning at the first sit after breakfast around this theme. And when you're doing a more formal samadhi practice, returning the attention to the breath or the sensations of sitting or the sensations of hearing or the experience of hearing, or you're doing more of a reflection or contemplation, you're really working with the pointing out of the Buddha. So the Buddha is saying that there is a refuge. The refuge is non-clinging. You know, the heart, mind, free of clinging, which is the fruit of mindfulness. So when we're mindful, especially with some continuity, that experience is the mind free of clinging. That's what mindfulness is. In order to be present with experience, the mind can't cling. And being aware, being mindful that the mind is clinging, attached, identified, reacting, is different than being attached, identified, and reacting. Because the refuge is different. Being aware that the mind is attached is not being identified with the attachment. It's seen, oh, clinging is like this. And to the degree the heart is fully in the refuge of understanding that attachment is like this, there's freedom in that moment. A moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. And then, so let's say you have a bout of continuity of mindfulness and directly experiencing the freedom that comes with that. Then, because the mind is like this, it's going to want to think, well, let's think in terms of, you know, is there a need for a refuge? Does this refuge exist? What is its nature? Then we can just reflect on our experience in that light. Oh, I see. I was thinking, I was caught, I was suffering the effects, the limiting effects of my thoughts about things. And then there was a continuity of mindfulness and the the freedom that comes with that. And we really understand, yes, there is a need for a refuge because that thinking was stressful. And we really know that it was stressful because of that experience of freedom that comes with mindfulness. It really makes the stress involved in our thoughts really stand out. There is nothing like having relatively good samadhi 
and then getting caught in some neurotic thinking. Because the sensitivity that we get when the mind is more settled, and then we get caught, you know, because we lose our mindfulness, we lose our practice, and we end up thinking for a while, and then mindfulness returns, and now we're mindful of the effects of having been caught in thinking. And it is so clear what thinking does when the mind is really sensitive. What neurotic thinking, where you're attached to the thoughts. You know, it's like being on... The classic is you're on retreat and you're thinking about your next retreat. I love these retreats. (laughs) How can I afford another one? How can I schedule another one? And on and on like that. So most of you know that we always begin our retreats by doing the refuges and precepts and Scott handed out so one side is the this uh, metta chant that we do on retreats it's the same chant that's done in a number of the monasteries in Asia in Burma especially they do this chant it's just the chant basically the chant of metta instructions you can read the English translation. We won't do that tonight, but we'll do that Friday and Saturday night. Tonight we'll do the refuges and precepts and then sit in silence for a few minutes afterward, for maybe 10 minutes or so, and at 9.15. And if you're new to this ceremony, this is something that people have been doing who follow the teachings of the Buddha since the beginning. And regardless of what culture They have recently, in the last several thousand years, 2,000 years, been chanting in uh, Pali, a language spoken around the time of the Buddha. So we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. We do that three times. We'll just do this in Pali. The Buddha is uh, really pointing to the refuge. So if you do, for whatever reason, bring to mind this historic figure... He represents what's possible, what's available here and now. That is the point of this historic person. Otherwise, he can't do any good for us. The only thing he could do is share what he came to understand and how that worked for him. And that's the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, which are pointing to the here and now. So we have the Buddha, this... Refuge of awakening, which is here and now, which is Dhamma. Buddha knows Dhamma. Buddha opens to Dhamma. So the Buddha is the heart that opens to the way it is now. And what comes out of that is Sangha, which is the beautiful expression of a human life when it's free of self, free of self-centered drama. So part of what we're doing on this retreat in particular is we're developing a personal relationship with Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha as refuge. Not something abstract, not an idea. So if you use an idea, if you're thinking, the thinking is directing the mind to the actual experience of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And you need to bring a lot of creativity to this reflection. Don't feel... Like you've got to search your mind for the answer. We're really searching the direct experience for the heart that knows. The mind that is essentially free in knowing, in opening, right now. That's Buddha. 
Buddha's not anywhere else but here. If, if there's really a refuge, it has to be here. Otherwise, it's not a refuge. And Dhamma is this possibility of trusting the way it is, not needing it to be different, not needing conditions to be different in order to be free or safe. So the heart that can connect with the way that it is already and the beauty, the wisdom, the love that comes out of that, which we call Sangha. And then also to support the safety, we take the five precepts to refrain from taking life or more generally from harming, taking the training rule to refrain from stealing, from all sexual activity, from telling lies. Noble silence really helps in not harming with our speech and to not intoxicate the mind in any way. So let's do this chant. Feel free first if you want to stretch your legs out so you'll be comfortable sitting for another 15 minutes. You can either even stand for a few seconds if you want to relieve any tension.